Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly Boring Since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Incorporated. PNC Bank, a national association, member FDIC. The state of Tennessee is one of the few places where the sounds are just as breathtaking as the sights. Whether that's live music at a historic music venue, the crack of an open fire at a campsite in the wilderness, or hearing kids laughing as they explore what's right around the bend, Tennessee just sounds perfect. Start planning your trip at tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Welcome to the podcast. This is Molly. And I'm Kristen. Kristen, I have a mystery for you to solve. Ooh. Get ready. Here are your clues. What do Laura Bush, Diane Sawyer, Oprah's friend Gail, Gil King, yes, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and Hillary Rodham Clinton have in common? They're all women. And? And successful. Yes, but do you know what I bet a lot of them would say their success is due to? Well, maybe not directly due to, that might be a stretch. <laughs> what? What's that? Reading Nancy Drew as a child. Ah, these are all Nancy Drew fans, huh? They are, and Nancy Drew's really been uh in the headlines a lot lately because during her confirmation hearings, Sonia Sotomayor uh, has mentioned a fondness for Nancy Drew, and mm-hmm. that's led to a lot of stories about... You know, what does the influence of Nancy Drew mean on these women? Right. And I think I saw a recent article in the Times about how uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg and Sandra Day O'Connor were also big Nancy Drew fans. Yeah. So something about being a judge and like needing the clues mm-hmm. might come from Nancy. But, you know, I really identified with hearing that these women liked Nancy Drew because I loved Nancy Drew. Fun fact about me, my cubicle is decorated and postcards that are of uh, the old Nancy Drew book covers. Yes, it's a, it's a lovely decoration. Nice yes. Decorative touch. It's to remind me to always dress fabulously, no matter what mysteries I might be solving. <laughs> we are always solving mysteries at How Stuff Works. We really are. So you should be dressed appropriately. Did you read the books, Kristen? I did read the books. Um, my mom actually gave me uh, the, when I was maybe, I don't know, 13 or 14, she gave me the reprinted originals. Mm -hmm. I think she was actually more excited about buying them and having them in the house uh, than I was because her name is also Nancy. Oh, it was a very popular name. Thanks to Nancy Drew. Yes. That's probably dating her a little bit. Sorry, mom. But, um, yeah, she was a big Nancy Drew fan. And then my older sisters read Nancy Drew. And then finally, once I was 11, 12, I was finally allowed to start the Nancy Drew series. My mom was very particular about when she wanted me to start reading Nancy Drew so that I could fully appreciate 
all of the careful nuances of uh, Nancy Drew's psyche. So it was a rite of passage. It was definitely a rite of passage. You know, I had, um, my mom had both those yellow bound original books, mm-hmm. the old ones, but I also read sort of the modern day um, equivalents of Nancy Drew, whatever the 80s version of Nancy mm-hmm. Drew was. I remember they were, you know, Nancy always looked kind of saucier on the cover. Yeah. But I remember looking at those books and being like, wow, Carolyn Keene is really old because she's got these old yellow books. She's got these new paperbacks. Like, that lady is old and probably tired. Yeah, and she has to be a fast writer. <laughs> I know. But then, you know, I come to find out there is no Carolyn Keene. Yeah, Carolyn Keene does not exist. Um which we are going to talk about today, all the mysteries of Nancy Drew. But let's, you know, if, if there are people out there who haven't read the books, let's talk a little bit about what they're about, yeah. who Nancy was. Nancy Drew, I, she's kind of a stock character, if you think about it. Yeah. Uh, she is uh, from a wealthy family. In the first series of books, she's 16, mm-hmm. and then she is eventually updated to be 18 years old. And she uh, lives with her father, who I believe is a lawyer. Mm-hmm. Carson. Carson Drew. Nancy Drew's mother passed away at three, and mm-hmm. so she has Hannah Gruen, her German housekeeper, kind of serves. So trusty. Yeah, fills in kind of the more maternal role. She's got a boyfriend, Ned Nickerson. Ned Nickerson, who is about, <laughs> he's about as exciting as uh, paint drying on a wall. He's very uh, patient, though. You know, if you're a young girl and scared about dating, I think Ned can be very reassuring that the most that will ever be expected of you is a, a Peck on the cheek before you run off to solve, you know, save your friends from certain death. Yeah, but don't rely on people like Ned to, to save you. If oh, goodness, no. Yeah, usually Nancy had to end up saving, saving Ned. Yeah. Uh, she's got two friends, Bess and George. Bess, always a little concerned about her weight. Pleasantly usually plump. Pleasantly plump, her plump chum. That's how she's often referred to. And then there is her quote unquote tomboy friend, George, mm-hmm. also a girl. Um, but Nancy herself is just, you know, every single good quality you can think in a person, she has it. She's both athletic, but dainty. Mm-hmm. So she's not as tomboyish as George. Uh, she's very smart. You know, she sees just like one thing on the street and all of a sudden she knows like how to solve the mystery. She's very observant. She is observant. Yes. And so I think that this is why people sort of hold her up as this kind of model of girl power. She doesn't need Ned to solve the cases. She just, you know, is very reliant on herself to get things done. Right, Molly. That aspect of her character being just very uh, self-determined and independent, I think, is one of the the main appeals of Nancy Drew. Uh, Sandra Singlow, a writer in The Atlantic, um, put it very well when she said that the real allure of Nancy Drew is that almost uniquely among classic or modern heroines, she can follow and is allowed to follow a train of thought. Mm-hmm. And considering that Nancy, the first Nancy Drew book came out in 1930, it was a pretty modern idea of, of a young woman. It really was. Nancy is filling this hole in 1930 that, um, you know, girls just didn't have that kind of heroine to look up to. We were reading about a character that was around at the time of Nancy Drew. And she's described as being, you know, a great person because she knows how to do laundry because she watched their <laughs> housekeeper all the time. I think her name was Honey Bunch. Honey Bunch. Which I like. How to take care of a home, whereas Nancy knew how to fix her car. And, mm-hmm. you know, but she still knew how to tap dance in Morse code. So she's very well balanced. And accessorize. Yes. I remember reading them and being like, Nancy Drew is always so smartly dressed. <laughs> but was she too smartly dressed? Was she too perfect? Some people are critical of Nancy Drew because, you know, 
does this person even exist? And as time of time has gone on, the new Nancy Drew has been more like, oh, I can't hop this fence because I'm wearing a skirt. Right. Uh, like you said, some people have, have criticized this idea of Nancy Drew as a feminist icon because they say, well, she's just a wealthy girl living off of her father's money who has a housekeeper to take care of all of her chores and she just trots off and, you know, fate just guides her through mysteries and it's yeah. completely unrealistic. And it might not be realistic, but let's go back in time to 1930 and see just how Nancy came into being. Who were the people behind this Carolyn Keene woman? Yes. The interesting thing about Nancy Drew is that she was actually conceived by a man. That sounds odd (laughs) to say. But she was the brainchild of uh, this huge uh, publisher who tapped into the children's kind of pulp fiction uh, industry. Yeah. His name was Edgar Stratemeyer, and he was born in 1862. And as he was growing up, he liked to write stories. And eventually he realized that if he just kept pumping out stories, that's how he could make money. And he realized that he had a lot of friends who could pump out stories just as fast as he could. Mm-hmm. So he gathered all of them together, kind of formed like this um, literary syndicate, this gang of ghostwriters. And he would give them all a three-page outline and, you know, between 50 and $250 and say, write me a book in a month. Yeah. And he just kept pumping them out. And the kids ate it up. He was responsible for the Hardy Boys. Um, the Bobsy Twins, mm-hmm. um, Tom Swift books, like just these books that, you know, our parents grew up with. Right. And these were a new kind of children's book for the time, because a lot of times what kids would be reading would be uh, just moral lessons, more mm-hmm. like Sunday school type lessons. And that's why they were slightly controversial for some people, because it was straying from uh, that that more moralistic tone. Yeah, they, some librarians wouldn't want to stock a book that the um, Stratemeyer Syndicate had written because it just was going to rot these kids' imaginations. Right. And then, uh, you know, Stratemeyer was nothing if not a good salesman when the Boy Scouts were formed. He immediately pumped out this series about Boy Scouts having all these adventures mm-hmm. and the Boy Scouts got mad at him because then like the real Boy Scouts didn't want to just like do the boring Boy Scout things. They, they wanted, wanted to have adventures. adventures. Um, so, you know, this guy was a good businessman and he really seemed to understand children well. Mm-hmm. And at the time, a lot of the thinking was that girls would just read boys books. They didn't need their own characters. Yeah. They didn't think that they would sell very well. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really... Makes sense. And Nancy Drew proved them wrong. Yeah, Nancy Drew outsold all of them. Yeah, I think uh, one of the last stats that I saw maybe from a couple of years ago was that there have been over 200 million Nancy Drew books sold since I mean, 1930. It's kind of unreal. But, you know, he, like I said, he's a good businessman. He has the right idea at the right time. Detective fiction's getting kind of big. And so he started thinking of this girl detective character. Right. In 1929, a year before the first book came out, he described his vision of Nancy Drew as, quote, an up-to-date American girl at her best, bright, clever, resourceful, and full of energy. Oh, yes. That is Nancy. Yeah. And and, and, and it worked. It did work. Um, originally, he wasn't going to call her Nancy Drew. Yeah. There were all sorts of uh, potential names such as Stella Strong. Mm. And I think Nan Nunn was one of them. Diana Dare. Diana Dare, which which is good. That's a that's a good one. I don't know if I would have read as many books with Diana Dare. <laughs> it's a little cheesier. And, uh, but one of them was also Nan Drew, which mm-hmm. the publishers eventually lengthened to Nancy. But Stratemeyer did not actually write the books. As I said, he's got this big, uh, you know, barn of ghostwriters. And he sends the uh, plot summary for Nancy Drew 
over to a writer named Mildred Wirt. Yes. And she's pretty impressive. She had been like the first woman at her school to get a master's degree. University of Iowa. She was a pilot. You know, she almost, you know, is the spunky heroine. She infused all of that into Nancy Drew. Even though she really created the model of Nancy Drew that so many girls have come to know and love, she didn't really get to enjoy the fruits of her labor that much because these things have sold like gangbusters, but she made, I think, $125 per book and she Mm -hmm. didn't have any kind of copyrights or anything to that. So she didn't get the profits that were coming from all these books that that she wrote. And uh, she said one year she wrote 13 full-length books while holding down another job. Mm -hmm. But she really wasn't, you know, she didn't become famous until much later. She couldn't, you know, there was a case later on to discover, you know, who had actually written the books. But, you know, these books are selling like gangbusters and everyone thinks it's this girl named Carolyn Keene. Meanwhile, you know, Mildred Worth is making $125 a book. I mean, you think you're underappreciated at your job. Yeah. Talk about Mildred Mildred. Worth. But then an interesting conflict arose soon after the first Nancy Drew book came out because Stratemeyer passed away and his daughters Mm -hmm. took over the business. And Harriet Stratemeyer Adams uh, really took over uh, control of the company and overseeing um, the production of the Nancy Drew book. She would go in and, and start to make edits and... Mildred Wirt and her did not get along that well. Their visions of Nancy Drew were were pretty different. I mean, you can't you can't fault Harriet for some of the changes she made because a lot of those early books that Mildred Wirt did write had these uh, very racist to us today kind of stereotypes. Right. A lot of you know making the villains ethnic in some way mm-hmm. and and just you know for political correctness you probably don't want those carrying on. But she also kind of softened Nancy. She wanted Nancy to be this sweet and light character who everyone loved. Right. Mildred Wirt would complain that when Harriet Stratemeyer was going through and editing uh, the copy, she would add in little adverbs here and there to to try and soften her. Like, Nancy said that laughingly, or Nancy softly sighed as she... (laughs) rode on horseback through the green pasture. Yeah, I uh, have an example from Salon, an article written by Amy Benfer, and here's the original sentence. Nancy rode along, glancing occasionally at the neatly planted fields on either side. Mm -hmm. Nice, descriptive, straight to the point. Uh, Harriet's version. Pretty, she commented to herself. Oh, why can't all people be nice like this scenery and not make trouble? I mean, that's... It's pretty frou-frou for a girl detective. Yeah. She should be living off the trouble. <laughs> uh, right. And there was a, also in Salon, there was a, an interview with Mildred Wirt and, uh, and she complained that, um, like her conception of Nancy Drew was supposed to be a girl who was really ahead of her time and kind of this new idea of a female heroine. But, uh, but then Stratemeyer went back and made her into just more of, a house type. Yeah. You know, the, she, Nancy Drew would probably grow up, marry her sad sack Ned Nickerson boyfriend <laughs> and move to the suburbs and resent Ned Nickerson for the rest of her <laughs> life while she was ironing every day. That's true. Although I will say that in that same interview, you know, Mildred Wirt made it clear that, you know, she didn't think of Nancy as a feminist the way other scholars were trying to pin this label on her. Nancy mm-hmm. would have never stood to be labeled like that. Um, and that, you know, it might not have been a bad thing if Nancy had got, uh, had settled down. She said, you know, the lesson I want girls from take to Nancy is to be free, but not to take too much license with your freedom. Mm-hmm. Be responsible. It's not a bad message for, uh, for young girls. No, of course not. So, um, 
both Mildred and Harriet now have passed away. But the the books keep on coming, along with movies, television series. There are constant updates. Harriet was certainly not the last one to update Nancy Drew. Currently, Nancy Drew has a cell phone and drives a hybrid. Yeah. And she uses a lot more slang. And she has a lot more doubts. You know, there have been um, a lot of articles about the psychology of Nancy Drew and whether she's relatable. And so now Nancy Drew is narrated in the first person. And she's like, oh, I just don't know about myself, about Ned. She's very more angsty. And I would say she's she's probably a lot more true to life of an average 16 to 18-year-old girl. I, I remember reading uh, the Nancy Drew books when I was younger, and she was just always so calm and self-determined and just always seemed to know that everything was going to work out. And when I was 14 and reading <laughs> Nancy Drew, it couldn't be farther from the truth in my, you know, in my head. Right. You know, we were reading one passage about how Nancy was had a crush on some rock star, allowing herself a rare moment of humanity. And when the guy didn't like her back, instead of, you know, falling on the bed and crying. She wanted to cry, but she wanted allow to herself cry. To. But she just filed her nails and wrote a letter instead. Wrote a letter to Hannah Gruen, her German housekeeper. <laughs> Good old Hannah. But I mean, you know, that's sort of the paradox that people struggle with now. Do you want kind of that ideal woman to look up to, you know, so that when you do face your own heartbreak and kind of be like, you know what, it's not worth crying. I'm just going to file my nails. Or do you want someone more relatable, someone angsty? Well, Molly, considering that that list of women, very successful women that you ticked off at the beginning of the episode, such as the three Supreme Court justices or, well, one nominee, one nominee and two Supreme Court justices, Hillary Clinton, Diane Sawyer, Gail King, etc., Seems like that uh, that original Nancy Drew, although slightly unrealistic, you know, worked as a role model for them. I know it's it's hard to argue with her success, and uh, you know, I look up to her every day as a model of well dressed intelligence. Yes, and wonderful cubicle decor. <laughs> she has wonderful cubicle decor. Um, but you know, without even knowing that we were talking about Nancy Drew today, we got a listener a reading list. You know, we love to do our listener reading lists. Mm-hmm. Uh, from Crystal, who is taking classes on elementary school libraries. And mm-hmm. so she's reading a lot of graphic novels. But she mentioned that the Nancy Drew series is being made into a graphic novel uh, to sort of bring more readers in. You know, when we were doing our Chicklet podcast, we talked about how something like a graphic novel could really hook young readers and get them reading. Right. So let's take a look at what Crystal is reading. She says, you know, because she's taking this class, she's reading graphic novels. She's reading... Uh, the Light Fantastic by Terry Pratchett, The Fairy Tale Detectives by Michael Buckley, Coraline by Neil Gaiman, and Captain America by Ed Brubaker. Sounds like a fun list. It does sound like a fun list. I wish I could take classes on stocking children's libraries. <laughs> I'd bring my postcards along to show them. Little flashcards. <laughs> that might be a little creepy, Molly. Probably. But on another note, uh, if you would like to stalk us... <laughs> <laughs> Don't be weird about it. Just send us an email. <laughs> At, uh, at momstuff at howstuffworks.com. If you have any ideas or memories about Nancy Drew books, any favorite or least favorite um, Nancy Drew books, feel free to send them along or any other questions or comments. And, of course, you can always check out what Molly and I are uh, digging into during the week on our blog called How To Stuff. And uh, you can find all of this and much more information at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Want more HowStuffWorks? Check out our blogs on the HowStuffWorks.com homepage. 
brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly boring since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group Incorporated. PNC Bank National Association, member FDIC. The state of Tennessee is one of the few places where the sounds are just as breathtaking as the sights. Whether that's live music at a historic music venue, the crack of an open fire at a campsite in the wilderness, or hearing kids laughing as they explore what's right around the bend, Tennessee just sounds perfect. Start planning your trip at tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play.